So I'd like you to open your Bibles this morning to Exodus chapter 16. We left off studying about the manna. The reason why we got into manna is because it's a beautiful picture of the Word of God in Scripture, but we can learn from it. I mean, we all know that manna was a provision for God's people, but we always tend to think as God's people. We tend to think in the physical realm, and we sometimes forget about the spiritual. So whenever we get to a place like Exodus 16, and we go, ah, this is about God providing his people food, and we move on, there's much more to Exodus 16 than that. It's about the spiritual application. So I always ask, well, what does this mean? What, what are you teaching here, God, and man, beyond just some kind of food for God's people? And by the way, it was angel's food. Yeah, so uh, there's a lot there about the manna, but the reality is is there's something spiritual that's teaching us about the Word of God. Just like the showbread, which is where we were starting, the showbread was a type of the Word of God. We clearly showed that in Scripture. Now we're going to look at the manna as a type of the Word of God and what we can learn from it. So, uh, brother, I'm going to have to get you on, uh, I forgot to give him the page number. Uh, Let's get to where it says the bread was called manna. Uh, page. The bread was called manna. You're probably about 18 or so verses in, or 18. Sorry about that, folks. I could forward one, but it'd take, take a while to get there. 15. No, we're just looking at the my uh, PowerPoint. Do you have it on? Uh, page, uh, go to like uh, uh, number 18. It's not, okay. All uh, right. Okay, go to, go to uh, 25. Sorry about this, folks. This is what happens when you have COVID. Your, your head's in a, it's foggy, man. It's foggy. All right, well. We're going to get there. Did you go to 25? We're having trouble here. All right. We're just going to. All right. Well, let me. Before we. Now, what did we do before PowerPoint? So, <clears throat> the bread was called manna, which is simply, you know, what is it? That's what it meant. Manna means what is it? And we talked about the word of God is not like, it's like no book in the world. It's supernatural. People look at this book and go, what is it? It's foreign to them. The only people that really are allowed to see it are the people of God and, the, and whom God illuminates through Scripture. It was Jesus that breathed upon his disciples so they could hear or understand the word of God. Or it says he opened their eyes that they would understand the Scriptures. It takes God to, to know this book. It's supernatural. And without God, it's going to be, what is it? They looked at man and said, what is it? Just like the world looks at it. And sometimes Christians look at it. What is it? I don't understand it. Well, God needs to illuminate your mind. And uh, I'm just going to forward wind this. Just ignore this. So <clears throat> if you look at verse 14 in Exodus chapter 16, all right, we're getting there. Whew. All right. These were, this was last time we studied. So my apologies, folks, for not getting this ready. But so 
in verse 14, thank you, sister, who mentioned that. The Bible says it was small. So remember, it's a type of the word of God. The Bible said the manna was small, small little round white things that referred to amount. And I, I thought about that, and I said, you know, it's amazing that we have God's love letters in a book we can hold in our hand. Everything, I mean, God is sovereign. He's created all things, but yet he was able to give us something that we can hold in our hands or, yeah, whether it's a computer, phone, or it's in the book, which is then what most people have had, to think about everything God wants for us is right here. It's small. To think about the God of creation gave us everything we need to know about life, pertaining to life and himself, in a book that we can hold in our hands. In fact, you know, the pocket Bibles, you used to be able to put your pocket Bible and share. I mean, it's amazing that God gave us that. Yet, the Bible tells us there were so many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books which would be written, that God really wanted to. I think he's holding back. So when we get to heaven, we're going to get a much bigger picture. The book's going to be much bigger than we ever imagined. We're going to get that opportunity at the feet of Christ in eternity. But for now, I think this is what we need. This is all we need. And it holds it's small, but yet it's the most powerful book. I, I, how many times you read this book through and through? And you get something new all the time. And you, all, you say, oh, wow, Lord, I didn't see that. Or I, I forgot about that. And yet it's just, it just goes, it's because it's eternal. And we'll see that here in a minute. So, and yet God's given us his words in one book that we can even hold in our hands, in our pockets. Today, technology takes over. It's still in our hands. It was round, so it was small. It was round. Now, this represents like a circle, just like um, the, the laver, by the way, that was the, the correct pronunciation for it is laver, not laver. I've been in a habit for 25 years. I can't get out of it. It's laver. But the laver was round, and it represented the word of God. The showbread was round. It represented the word of God. And here we got manna. It's round. It's a circle. It represents something eternal infinite. Of course, we know the scripture tells us heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. The word of God we read two weeks ago was settled in heaven. In God's mind, the book was complete before it started. It's an eternal book. That's why you read it over and over and you see something new and something fresh. And so that's why we got to stay in the book. But heaven and earth shall pass, but my word shall not pass away. It is an eternal book. Even the mathematicians agree with this about something that is round. In the pi world, it's an infinite number. It's, some, it's something to do with an irrational number that's infinite of value. And so anytime something's round, whether it's a ring on your finger representing something eternal or, or you see it in Scripture, it's interesting. We see a half rainbow here on earth because it's not complete. But when you read in Revelation 4, you see a complete rainbow. You see the rainbow round about the throne because it represents what's complete and eternal. This book is eternal. And we're not going to understand it without God's illumination. So again, the showbread, the brass laver, all foreshadowed that which was eternal. That's why God uses the word. So when you see the words continually, always, perpetual, you know, let's kill the lamb in the morning and in the evening, every day, morning, why? It's representing something eternal 
in God's mind. And so when you see those words, that's what it means. And so when, it, when we read it, that it was small, it was round, again, it's a type of the word of God. It was white. This is more of, this is really something special. Because white, we know, we talked about the righteousness of God and, and, and the, the righteous or the, the white linen represents righteousness, but also represents purity. The word of God is pure. That's why it's white. White represents purity. We read here, the words of the Lord are pure words. Hmm. There's something here for us, an application here that we'll share here in a minute. But as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified. I love this. Seven times. Why? Well, maybe the process of getting something really pure took that. But really, the word seven times, seven is the number of completion in Scripture. It's throughout the book of Revelation. It's throughout the Scriptures. Seven is always the, is the completion of God, the perfection of God. And so we see the words of the Lord are pure words, and they're tried. So we can go back, and I don't have time, about inspiration. As holy, this Bible's been God-breathed, that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They didn't write it. It wasn't their will to write this. It was God's will working through them. But the God who inspired the book preserved the book. He's always preserved his words. Now, we have it through in the King James, the English-speaking version, the King James Bible, of course, through the manuscripts of the Textus Receptus. God preserved his words. Now, I know there's a lot of Bibles out there and all that, and there's a lot of corruption, but there is truly one book that God wants. And for English-speaking people, it's the King James Bible. But they're pure words. You can trust these words. And they shall, the Bible says, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. When he inspired it, he knew how to keep it. If God can create the world just like that in speaking it, don't we, can't we believe that he can also preserve his word and, and keep it for us? This word has not been corrupted. If it was, we wouldn't be here today reading it. We're, I would say, fairly intelligent thinkers, and we realize there's something about this book that's not right. It's not natural. It's supernatural. That's because it came from God, and he preserved it for us. Purity. Go on speaking about this subject. I, it weighed on me a little bit. The word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. I would hope so. But the word is not only pure, but it's true. The word is true from the beginning. I have that written over Genesis 1. The word is true from the beginning. Now, most Christians today that claim to be Christians don't believe in Genesis. They have rejected Genesis 1 through 11. Once you reject the book, your eyes are closed from that point on. You might as well go home and shut the book. God's not going to give you anything but conviction at that point. If, you're, if the stand is, well, this is allegorical, it's mythical, God didn't really mean to say that, God says, that's it. You're not getting anything. God says, I'm just going to believe what you said, God, and I don't understand it. I may not even be able to argue the points of creation and evolution and all that, but who cares? When I get to heaven and stand before you, I'll let you do it. <laughs> the word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. But this idea of purity is so important because we live in a time of real impurity. It's a struggle. Just people, the way people dress, 
the crudeness in America is beyond anything I've ever seen. I mean, just people talk flippantly and, and say things, but just, just think about how we, we talk about the president today. As much as we dislike him, think about how we talk about him. And yet the Bible says the devil, that the Michael the archangel dare not bring an accusation against Satan. If, if that's where God placed him, we pray and that's it. Now, we don't, like, we don't have to like him, right? But my point is, everything's so impure today that our minds are filtered. And we, keep, we can go to the checkout counter. It's impure. We, we, you know, radio, television. It's just we're being bombarded with impurity. And I thought to myself, how do I keep myself pure? It's a tough, that's a tough assignment in a world of impurity. And I thought, really, it does come down to this book. And, and staying close to it. So I, I kind of realized is try, try this on for one-size-fits-all approach to keep yourself pure. Philippians 4.8. Now, Pastor, you've preached on this, and the accessibility today is killing us. And um, it'd be good for, for people to fast sometimes from the things like social media and all this stuff. But finally, brethren, what sort of things are true, honest, just, watch, things that are pure, lovely, good report, virtue, the Bible says, think on these things. Well, the starting point is right here. That's where we think on these things. So if we do that, a steady diet of Scripture is going to change the way we think. We live in a world of eat better, you know, stay healthy, exercise. But that's the physical. What about the spiritual? I need to eat better spiritually. I need to, I need to exercise the spiritual things of God so that doing so, if I do it, based on God's word and his way, we'll find ourselves not being attracted to the impure. Or I think a better way to say it is accepting it. Just like, ah, oh, it's no big deal. It's a big deal for God. Impurity, steady diet of scripture will change the way we think. Remember we talked about it in Psalm 77, when the struggling saint hit depression, he started to remember the things of God, he meditated on the word of God, and then he spoke about the word of God. And he healed, he finally realized the way of God is in the sanctuary. It's where God resides and his power is found. And it's found in the scriptures. That's where we start. All right, enough, enough of preaching on that. The, the manna was told, it, it, we're told it's like a seed in verse uh, 31. Interesting, because once a seed is planted with all the right conditions, it will grow. Have you ever found yourself plateauing in spiritually. Come on now. Some of you may be doing it now. Some of you are going to do it. You're going to face it. You get to that point, you just, man, I'm not growing. I don't feel like I'm growing. I don't, I don't have that joy like I had or that passion. And, you know, it's a struggle. But, folks, you're still growing. People who stop feeling like they're growing tend to stop on God. They stop reading, praying, meditating, fellowshipping, giving to God, going to church consistently. Why? Because they, oh, I'm just not growing anymore. Maybe I've plateaued. This is it, you know. No, you're growing always, but you may not feel like you're growing. I've never met a 15-year-old who grew like six inches in the summer. You've seen those folks. You know, one day they're here. Next day they're here. You know, you see them in May. You see them in September. You think they woke up and said, man, I feel like another inch today. They never see themselves growing, but they grew. The people that see them grow are the ones that didn't saw them in May and then saw them in September when the school system started. 
Whoa, what happened, man? You grew like six inches. Really? Yeah, I'm, you know, I know my clothes don't fit. Because God's always growing you. But feeling like you're growing is a different thing. And that's why we're all, once you get the seed planted, when God has the right conditions, he'll grow you. You're never going to stop growing with God. There's no such thing as a plateau with God. The word of God is what we need in order to grow spiritually. You know, Paul said, I watered, Paul watered, or excuse me, Paul planted the seed. He was throwing, he was a seed thrower. But Apollos came along and taught what Paul had planted. And the Bible says, Apollos watered. What I'm doing this morning, hopefully, planting seed, but watering the seed. But Bible says, I've got no power in and of myself, but God giveth the increase. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. God will grow us when the seeds are planted. So being born again, notice how the word of God refers to itself as a seed. Not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, once again, something eternal. By the word of God, that's the seed which liveth and biteth, there it is, forever, eternal. But it's a seed. I always like to refer to ourselves as seed digesters and seed sowers. That's what we do in life when God saves us. We spend a lifetime uh, digesting God's word as a seed, which helps us grow, and then we help others with the seed, with the word of God. It's just a, a cycle, and that's what God's plan has always been. I like this picture. It tasted like honey, the Bible says. And you can't miss the coincidences here. These, of course, there's no coincidence in the word of God. It tasted like honey, so I opened my mouth in Ezekiel 3. Verse 2, he caused me to eat the roll, the scripture, and then the Bible says, he, I did eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. Now, I'm going to show you another verse in a minute that's opposite of that. But honey, sweet. Anybody had honeycomb here before? Just I literally, wow, that's beautiful. So I watched a documentary the other day of somebody was taking honey, you know, talking about the, the beehives and taking the honey and just dripping and ate it and said, man, this is one of the best things I've ever had. Now, I've never had that experience. And I'm not sure I want that experience of going over into a beehive. But I'll take it if it's in the store wrapped up in, in a, like that. But the word of God, it really is sweet. Let's admit, you know, we had Pastor Whetstone here. And um, there's some sweet things he, that he gave us in Scripture, man. I, I was, whew, you know, like he said, man, I just want to run the aisle sometime. I'm thankful for that, that I have the opportunity to be able to be feasting on God's word as sweet. Some, now, not everything he said was so sweet. <laughs> there are things I said, oh, man, i got to be doing that. I think you should be doing that. That's part of the growing process. God does both. He edifies, but he convicts. He challenges. And, and, and so when we read here uh, another example of honey, uh, here in Revelation 10, this is interesting. I took the little book, there it is again, out of the angel's hand, he ate, and I ate it up, and it was in my mouth. Sweet as honey, just like Ezekiel. But as soon as I'd eaten it, what happened? My bitter, my belly was bitter. It's the opposite of sweetness. What happened? All of a sudden, he took the book and he applied it. It's amazing what happens when we take Scripture, we get excited, and then boom, the opposition starts to happen. Or, or the rea reality of where I'm at with God versus where I need to be with God. And it's not so pleasant. 
Man, the last thing you do with God when he convicts you is turn your back and say, that's not for me. That's when God grows you. That's when it can be even sweeter in obedience. But it's so hard sometimes when God's talking to you, like, no, he's not talking to me. He's talking to you. No, he's not talking to me. I had that going on with Whetstone. Uh, No, I don't think that was for me. Yeah, that's for you, Todd. And so the application didn't feel so good once I I realized, man, I got to get something straight with God. And so there it is. My belly was bitter. And I love this verse, and uh, it's in um, 2 Timothy 4, verse 16. You don't need to turn there. But Paul, in the end of his ministry, he, I think, as Paul wanted to go to Caesar, he rendered, on, you know, he wanted to appeal to Caesar. There was re- he wanted to get the word out to the highest level of government. And uh, he got it. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, 16, at first answer, no man stood with me. All men forsook me. You can imagine when Paul was asked the question, you know, are you a Christian or what? Man, he let it rip to the point where he knew his life was over. He didn't care. And brother, all the people around there that are claiming, you know, the professing Christians, I'm sure there are plenty because he talked about that. They got saved. I'm there like, not, not, not me, man. I'm not in that crowd right now. That, that boy's life is about to be taken. I'm, I'm not ready for that. And there's the application. It was sweet when I heard Paul tell me, and I loved it, but man, as soon as he got it applied, I'm out of here. And that's why all men forsook me, just like the disciples did with Christ. They forsook him at the hour of temptation. But the Bible says, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. At the end of the day, the only friend you need is the Lord. But my belly was bitter. It will happen when you apply the word, but that's part of growth. All right. It was gathered every morning. I love this verse. I'll share something with you here in a minute that's personal. Oh, God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. And I'm not here to tell anybody when they should read the word of God, how they should read the word of God, when they should pray, how to pray, when to meditate. That's not my place. I'm not meddling. But I would advise for every believer to start their day off with God. Now, we tend to start our days... We roll out of bed. We're not even halfway out of bed. We got the phone in our hand looking at Fox News and social media. Not, maybe not you. Not, not this crowd. So, Amazon, what am I going to buy today? I mean, we are filling our minds with the physical and not the spiritual sometimes. And I say start the day off with the spiritual. Even in the work world, I begged God to help me to be disciplined in giving him the first rights of everything. So when I wake up, God, this is your time. I need My day, once it goes, it starts going. Fifth gear, it's really tough to kind of move into that spiritual realm and back out. Now, you have to. You have to learn how to do that. But in the morning's the best way to start your day. We all have coffee. Most of us eat something in the morning. I grew up not eating, which is a bad habit. But You should be eating physically. Well, what about spiritually? So early will I seek thee. Now, maybe that's early in life. I get that. But also early in the morning. Because remember, they gathered in the morning the bread. They gathered the manna from God in the morning. Why? Because if they left it out, it went bad. So they had to gather it in the morning. We need God in the morning to start our days off. And 
and enough of all the other stuff. That will come throughout the day, I'm sure. But God should get first rights of everything. And um, scripture, prayer, meditation. So I read about, okay, if I start my day off that way, then I'm supposed to keep it going. The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. This was instructions to Joshua. I want to be successful. I want to be prosperous with God. Well, there's the answer. Because look at the last part of that verse. For thou shalt make thy way prosperous and have good success. So a good way to start your day. So as a, this is just me personally. I don't care if people want to pray at the end of the night. I just don't recommend it. I mean, do both, morning and night. But I spent a lot of time, years, people say, why did I retire? Or what am I going to do in retirement? And I always tell them this. I know what I'm not going to do in retirement. I spent a lifetime traveling, hotels and planes. And, but there's a blessing in all that because that was a lot of quiet time in a car, in a plane, and in a hotel. When doing that, I learned, I said, God, help me to be you first. So when I got in that car in the morning, I had a 45-minute commute to the airport or an hour. I, that was time with God. The radio wasn't on. The podcasts weren't on, if unless I, usually the podcast came in the afternoon, you know, because the mind just, but in the morning, that's a quiet time, and God really helped me grow spiritually by giving him that time in the morning, and, uh, you know, take it for what it's worth, it, it's, God wants us to spend time with him, no matter what, when, how, but I recommend early to seek God, at least to get started. So, again, I say that's a tall order that was in Joshua. He said, meditate day and night. That's a struggle. The Bible says, pray without ceasing. Hmm. It's an attitude, right? You know, we're not going to pray all the time. It's an attitude. Ready to pray. I heard somebody was sick the other day. I was like, right away, I was like, okay, God, time to pray. Time to pray. I heard they were sick. That's just time. So the struggling saint in Psalm 77, we talked about that. He meditated to get through his struggles. He said, I, got, I don't know how do I get out of this rut I'm in. Meditate on God's word. May we cry out, give us this day our daily bread. Like, that's enough for the manna, the word of God. We've spent a lot of time on that. What's coming next, and we are going to try to get into this a little bit, just to get a teaser here, is the light. The power source of God is found in the candlestick. Um, we're going to spend a couple weeks when I return on this subject alone. Oh, let me go back. There, the candlestick is described in detail in Exodus 25. In Exodus 37, it repeats it. Now, when you read it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to just kind of uh, summarize. So I can't, I don't know if you can see this, can you? On the screen, can you see it on the screen? All right, I'm not seeing it. So, okay, done work on the screen. So you got the stem, the shaft, the main part. There's, and then you have three branches coming out from the, the main branch. Just, by the way, one piece of gold, it was beaten, like with an anvil, and it was melted, beaten, one piece, about 90 some odd pounds of gold, one piece, and it had all these decorations on it, and the top of it, seven lamps, which are filled with oil. We, oh, there's a lot there. There's no way to do this in one study. And that, and then so, obviously, the details in, Describe it as, uh, God goes into details about the almond, the flower, the knop, uh, the bud. That's pretty much what a knop is. In fact, the word knop shows up, I think, in five verses there in Exodus. 
eight times. You're all knobbed out when you finish that. Knobbed out. Knob this, flour this, almond this, bowl this. It's, it's pretty detailed. So I thought, well, let me see if I can find a good pitcher. And there's the only pitcher I could find that would give us uh, a little bit. I'm going to be over here since the camera. So if you look here, this is the bowl. This is the knob or bud. And this is a flower from the almond. And I started looking at that, and it hit me. There's three of the three components that make up this, this flower. Well, there's three on each branch. There's three times, there's three, three, three on each branch. What does that add up to? Nine. What does the number nine represent in the Word of God? Fruitfulness. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 lists nine characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. A woman's pregnant for nine months, and it's called the fruit of the womb. There's something to do with the, the fact that these branches are to produce fruit because they're connected to the stem, which is its life source. We'll read about Jesus saying, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He that, bear, he that abideth in me, what? Brings forth much fruit. That thing represents the work of Christ through the Holy Spirit in your life to bear fruit. It is your power source. It's your light source. And it's what, it, it's what we are to represent, the fruit of God. And so there's a lot there. And uh, so we'll talk briefly. I'm going to, about Christ as our light source. I'm going to conclude on this, even if I'm going to take an extra minute or two, if you guys don't mind. I've got to get through this. So important, this slide. In Revelation 1, now, that's one candlestick, but in Revelation 1, there's seven of them. So seven of the one, the exact same picture, seven of those candlesticks. So seven, they had seven lamps on each one. I saw seven golden candlesticks. The seven candlesticks which thou saw now represent the seven churches. But what is a church? It's a body of believers called out. It's a called out assembly that are the lighthouse for God. So they represent the local church, these candlesticks. They're made up of born-again believers that reflect the light of Christ. They are not the light of Christ. They reflect the light of Christ. In verse chapter 2 of Revelation, verse 5, it says, I'm going to remove the candlestick out of its place, except I'll repent. Now, you've been hearing a lot about this. I've talked quite a bit on Revelation 2, but it hit me because it's about the candlestick. What does he mean you're going to remove the candlestick? I mean, no believer loses his salvation. So what does he mean remove it? Remember, he's talking about the local church. He's talking about the body of believers. Well, I really believe what, when he says what they're supposed to repent of is they left their first love. You heard Whetstone talk about it. I've talked about it several times. What does that really mean? Well, they did all these good things, but what they ended up doing, they just did it. They, weren't, they, didn't, they forgot who they were doing it for. It's routine, folks. We get into a routine, which turns into a rut. Next thing you know, we're just going through the motions. The heart's not in it. The desire's the joy, the passion, the, the reality is I've left my first love. It happens in marriages. It happens with our children. It happens in our job. It happens all over. But Jesus says, don't let it happen 
in your relationship and your walk with him. Because it can happen where we leave our first love. We're just going through the motions. We don't, we're not in love anymore with our Savior. And, and, and it just show, it reflects in maybe our desires. But here, here's what's really interesting. That's what they're to repent of. If they don't, he's going to remove the candlestick. Really, what is he saying? I am going to pull the power plug, the power source from your life if you don't get this right. That's a scary thought. You heard Whetstone talk. Thousands of churches today are alive, but they're really dead. They have a name that's alive, but they're dead. You go in, the churches, there's no life. I've been to those churches. I've seen them close their doors eventually. It's a sad thing. The reality is, Christ says, pull the sword, power source. Remember, that light candle is the power source of God for your life, to reflect his light. If the light's not being reflected, he pulls the power. That's not losing your salvation. That's losing your power to live for him. Now, that's for a local church. Not individually. It's talking about the local church, but the application is. Let me talk about this thing, taking things for granted with God. I have a whole testimony about taking for things for granted, like in marriage. But I was in, I was in Atlanta, and I got offered a, a, a job with the company I'd been with to go to Seattle. I didn't know much about Northwest. I just know I, I needed to do something to help the company. They asked me to go out there and rebuild the business. And uh, I, didn't, I knew very little about Seattle other than, hey, I heard it rains out there. So coming from Florida to Atlanta to Seattle is not the best direction to go. So Florida, Atlanta for four years, now off to Seattle. We got there. We got into an El Nino pattern, which is a pattern that brings rain for most nine months of the year. First two years, my family hated me. My kids just were beside themselves. But I remember from November 1st, it was July 4th. I saw the sun 10 times. I can count 10 times. It would be for a day and boom, gone. Rain, just a mist. Kind of like this morning. Just not heavy rain, just light rain, no sun. And you talk about getting depressed. And I remember coming July 4th, I saw a friend, I said, that's it, I can't do it anymore. I'm going back. I don't care what position I got to take, I'm leaving. I'm out of here, I got to do it. And the guy said, hey, Todd, don't worry, the lights will turn on tomorrow. That's what he said, the lights will turn on tomorrow. And sure enough, July 5th, woke up, it was clear as day, blue skies, 75 degrees, and didn't see a drop of rain for 75 days. Most beautiful 75 days of my life. I've just absolutely... Took every bit of that in. And I finally said to God, God, help me never to take for granted the sun. Because I had 300 days of sunshine in Atlanta. I got out there, it's less than 90 days. Do, you can see it's less than 100 days of sunshine out there. All the time. This was a bad season, and I got like probably 30, 40. I said, God, help me never to take for granted what you've given us. Because when it's gone, you start to realize, man, I wish I had it again. And that's true with Christ, the son of righteousness, S-U-N. We take him for granted. We take our church for granted. We take our Bible for granted. We take prayer for granted. And then when it starts to go away and God pulls that power source, what? Now we wish we had it. We don't want to ever be in that, that situation. May God help us to keep the power source in our life, to reflect the light of Christ, which is what we're going to study next as those candlesticks play an important role in reflecting the light of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this gathering of 
believers, as a local church, Lord, to represent you, to lift you up and as our Savior. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for your power, Lord, to help us walk in the Spirit. Lord, we're not always that way, but that's why we're here. We're here to grow. We're here to uh, make sure we don't fall into that trap. Help us, Lord, to never take you for granted. Help us to love you with all our heart, our mind, our strength. And uh, Lord, thank you for loving us even when we don't love you. May God you bless this hour of worship. May Christ be lifted up. May you help edify the body of Christ, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.